0: Hey, if you're new with us today, uh, you, you may not uh, know this. Um, our church is working to begin a partnership in Indonesia with uh, some underground pastors. And when I say underground, what I mean is this, that um, in Indonesia, it's technically legal to be a Christian, but many people don't like it, and so persecution is very real. And uh, this is my first Sunday back, and we're not going to spend the whole Sunday talking about that, um, it's pretty natural for me to tell stories. So some of the stories will be from what um, I've experienced in the last couple weeks with a team of people from CCC. Um, but Indonesia is is really cool. It's really unique. Um, there are a lot of things that are the same and there are a lot of things that are very, very, very different. Um, the dress is very, very different. Uh, but this is a super cool shirt. It's not supposed to ever fade. I'm not sure how that happens, but we're going to put it to the test, right? So, And it's Purdue colors, uh, which is a bonus for me. I'm a big Purdue fan. Uh, one thing that is the same is um, the, the cats in Indonesia are still bigger than the birds. Um, and that's true in Kentucky, too. Uh, cats? <laughs> Got to get one of those in on my first Sunday back, right? So uh, cats are still bigger than birds in Indonesia. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's really cool. <laughs> No, uh, it, it was so good um, to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Indonesia, but it's also really good to be back. So grateful for um, so many leaders that I got to hear about their faith growing here in Kentucky uh, while we were gone over there. Um, we will take a, a Sunday in October, more than likely, to, to spend some more time talking about this. And then uh, Miss Megan, uh, some of you may not know Megan, she's fairly new to Christ Community, but she is working with me to help us tell the stories of the people that we met in Indonesia really, really well. And uh, and so we're excited about what happens with that. Uh, Pastor Dave, Pastor Jeff, they have set the stage for us in uh, this new series, Leaving Your Comfort Zone, from the book of Exodus. Um, and so if, if it is your first time today, here's the good news. It's my first day here on this series, too, so we're, we're in this together. Um, but what we're going to see, uh, they've been talking about the who the Israelites are, how they ended up being uh, oppressed and enslaved in the country of Egypt, who Moses is and and his crazy life story. And today, in Exodus 3 and 4, we're going to see God just inject himself into this situation and completely change it. And when he begins to to work in something and change something, he's going to call us as people, as Christ followers, um, to leave our comfort zone. And so today is the beginning of us beginning to wrestle with, okay, God, how are you calling me outside? How are you calling me to leave my comfort zone? And, and here's going to be the big idea that, that we want to chase in Exodus 3 and 4. That when we see fires, God sees freedom. When we see fires, God sees freedom. All right? So let's, uh, let's take some time to pray. Um, man, This is a good book, but it's so much more than that. It is God's word to us, the living God speaking to us. And so we want to pray as we begin our time in it that God would speak to us today through his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful um, that you have revealed yourself to us, both through your son who is full of grace and truth, but also through your word, your written word that that guides us, that, uh, that teaches us. Uh, that helps us to know you in in intimate ways. And we thank you for your spirit that helps us to understand. God, may that process play itself out in our lives today. May the person who has never accepted Christ understand the truth of the gospel in a way that they never have before. May the person who has been walking with Jesus be reminded of the goodness of our God. And may the word of God change us in this place today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see fires. We see fires. Turn with me to to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read the first six verses here as we kind of follow along this story. And we're going to talk about a fire that Moses saw, and we're going to talk about how it's like the fires that we might see. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God used a fire to get Moses' attention. And when Moses turned and looked at that fire the Lord began to speak. He began to call him outside, out of his comfort zone. Moses didn't even know it yet, but, but he knew that he was uncomfortable and that God was up to something. You know, God uses all kinds of fires to get our attention. In this story, we, we read about this fire that's literally consuming a bush but not burning it up. But in our lives, those fires look like a variety of things. Sometimes life seems to be spiraling out of control. We feel like we're on the hamster wheel, right? Like everything is is just going, 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 and we're losing control. We feel like we're exhausted. We're worn out. We don't know what to do. And God can be using those kinds of fires to get our attention and remind us that life is impossible without him. It's unsustainable. Sometimes we're, we're struck in a moment at just how holy and how powerful God really is. You know, in the light of Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma, uh, we have a mixture of emotions, but one of them is being reminded that as powerful as the wind and the waves may be, the Lord still commands them. And we see the devastation that is caused by things like that, and, and yet we know that we serve a God, we believe in a God who is even more powerful than that. You know, through the generous giving of Christ's community, we support disaster relief uh, through the Baptist Church. And those disaster relief services have been down on the ground serving hundreds of thousands of meals. But more than that, they've been serving people Christ. Last I heard, there are more than 90 people in these two places who had accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. As Christian brothers and sisters served them, not just in deed, but in the word of God. And it reminds us that as powerful as those things are, God is more powerful. That's a fire. It causes us to stop, to take notice. Sometimes we're facing things that seem near impossible. We feel like we've hit a dead end. We've hit a roadblock. We can't keep going. And it is those moments that we realize God is not only getting our attention, but he's calling us to to depend on him more. And sometimes God lets us see something truly disturbing something that bothers us and and gets at us, and and we can't walk away without doing something about it. And that's when God is using a fire to call us to something more, when he's calling us to leave our comfort zone. I want to show you a picture of a man. This man's name is uh, Dion. Dion, D-I-A-N. Dion is a chicken farmer. He's a chicken farmer, but he is oh so much more. Dion was raised in a Muslim boarding school in Indonesia, and so he just readily accepted the Islamic faith. And he grew up in that until he came to know the Lord. And when he came to know the Lord, he was so afraid of what uh, his leaders would do to him that he shaved his head and posed as uh, a member of their military. That was his way of, of trying to, to keep himself safe and yet be a follower of Christ. But he was found out. They figured out that he was faking it. And so when they figured that out, they bound him, they tied him up, and they began to prepare an oil fire to burn him at the stake. Gosh. And so he's, he's sitting there. He's sitting there and he says. The only thing I knew was to pray. And he said, here's what I prayed. And let's just take a sidestep out, right? Like, what are you going to pray if that's you? What are you going to pray for? He said, here's what I prayed. He said, the Lord just kept bringing Matthew 28 to my mind. Go and make disciples of all nations. And he said, I kept crying out to God. God, there's so many people, so many friends, so many family members that I haven't told about Jesus yet. Can't you just make a way for me to go tell them? Gosh. And I'm worried if my kid has all the nice things. So he begins praying, God, if you will just get me out of this, I will go. I will preach the name of Jesus to all these people. He says, I don't know how it happened but all of a sudden I was loose and there was a moped and I hopped on the back of that moped and we fled into the forest. A manhunt, a search party following us. And he tells a story about how God helps them make his way through the forest. He's reunited with four of his leaders. And he said they they thought they had gotten away and 15 people from the village found them. He said, we're were afraid we begin to pray again. And when the 15 people came up to them, they said, we want to know this Jesus that you serve. Man, that's a fire. It was literal fire. You know, when we see fires, when we see uh, struggles in this life, when we face things that are difficult, what do we see? I think too often we see things that are difficult, hard, and we ask God, why? Why is this happening to me? And most of the time when fires come, we, like Moses, hide. We hide. But I'm here to tell you that trying to hide from God, whatever he's calling you to is like trying to blend in as a 6'4 white guy in Indonesia. (laughs) It doesn't work out so well doesn't work out so well. So what fire are you hiding your face from? What fire are you hiding your face from? Maybe you're here today because your wife drugged you here. Maybe you're here today because you feel like it's what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're here today and you don't even know why you're here today. Maybe you're here today because you feel God calling you to something more, but you're a little bit afraid to embrace what that might be, right? I don't know what it is, but but God has you here for a reason today, and, and there is some type of fire in your life. There is something that has caught your attention. There is something that has you unsettled, and the temptation that each of us have is the same temptation that Moses faced, and it's to hide his face. It's to hide from it. But the fires of our life are not meant to be hidden from. They're meant to move us forward. Because when we see fires, God sees freedom. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 7. Moses hides his face. Verse 7 says this. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Right? How many times do we ask the question, why would, why would God allow good, bad things to happen to good people? Right? Well, first of all, it's a flawed question, and I'm not going to go into the philosophy of that. But right, we ask that question, why would bad things happen to good people? And we were reminded in these few verses that there is nothing that is unseen by God. No matter how bad we think it is, and we wonder why, why would this be so bad, God has seen it, and he knows. But look at his response. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God sees the oppressed. There is nothing that we have seen that God has not seen. But God also sees freedom for the oppressed. And where we get really uncomfortable in that point of being called outside, of being called to leave our comfort zone, is in the realization that God uses people to deliver the oppressed to freedom. God says, Moses, I want to use you. And no doubt today... In your life, there's a fire you're facing. You may think it only pertains to you. But if you would be willing to move through that fire with the help of God, God would use your story to bring people to his name and to freedom in Jesus Christ. This morning, over at CCC Midland, there's a lady telling her story. This lady's originally from Guatemala. Here's how she got to America. She swam across a river. She walked across the desert to get on a bus. While she was in the desert, she was lost for six days. She sucked water out of desert plants just to stay alive. And in her words, that journey, getting to Shelbyville, Kentucky, was the better alternative being beaten and having to fight for food on a daily basis she says this living in Shelbyville just means that I get to live less scared less scared God has been using several people from Christ's community to show her that God wants so much more for her than to just live less scared he wants true freedom for her in Christ She has faced much oppression, and God has used many people along the way to move her forward through the fires on her way to freedom. Now remember Moses' story if you've been here with us the last couple of weeks. Remember that he too has been oppressed. He has been oppressed, but he has also been the oppressor. He's made lots of mistakes. He has ran from those mistakes. Does it sound like your story? see, Moses knew what it was to be oppressed. He was sentenced to death before his birth simply because of who he was. And even then, after being delivered to freedom by the miracle of Pharaoh's daughter, he found himself to be oppressed again because he defended the rights of his people. He had to flee Egypt. He had to give up a lot. Moses knew oppression. He knew the fires that had to be walked through to experience and find freedom. But in this moment, out in the middle of the desert, God is telling Moses, I don't see you the way you see yourself. I don't see you the way you see yourself. You may see all the fires of your past. You may see all the fires that you would face to go and free your people from the Egyptians. But I see you as the leader that's going to lead my people to freedom. I see you as the guy who has just enough faith to get outside your comfort zone and play a part in delivering my people from oppression. That's who I see you to be. And you and I, we're not that different. We're not that different from Moses. You and I have been sentenced to death since birth. You say, what? I live in America. We are sentenced to death from birth by sin. Oppressed by it. Who we are at our core, selfish, prideful sinners, oppresses us. And it writes the warrant for our eternal death. We don't have a chance. And because of that, we walk through fires every day because of the oppression of sin in our lives. It grabs onto us. It clings onto us. It holds onto us and holds us back. It is everywhere, even when we don't want it to be, wreaking havoc on our lives and in our relationships with the people we love the most. Oppressed by sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. Because of Jesus, God doesn't see you as you are either. He doesn't see you as that selfish, prideful sinner. Colossians 3.3 Colossians 3.3 3 says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It is hidden. What does that mean? 2 Corinthians 5.21 helps us to understand that even more. It says, For our sake, God made him, God made Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, that's like a tongue twister, but I want us to not miss this, right? Jesus had no sin. He was not oppressed by the sin of this world. And yet he became sin so that in the eyes of God the Father, all-powerful and creator, we are righteous? We're good? That is the good news of the gospel. And Galatians 3.27 puts it all together when it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we see people come from death to life in the waters of baptism after having believed in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we are seeing them come up in God's eyes as righteous people. Because of Jesus, God doesn't see you as you are. If you would, picture with me the scene of a king's throne. In the old times, right? A powerful king is is sitting on his throne, right? Can you imagine that with me? He's judging the people because that's what a king does. Guards around him, protecting him. People coming up, waiting in line, hoping that they get a chance to be with the king. Imagine if suddenly the doors of that room burst open and everybody stops and they look and they gasp because when they turn and they look in the doors, there's two little boys one who's clean and dressed in nice clothes and one who's bloodied and muddy. So everyone turns, they gasp, and there stand these two little boys, right? One's clean, one's not. And with boldness, this clean one just starts marching down the, the red carpet straight to the, to the foot of the throne. The guards reach for their swords. They, they're waiting, right, for the king. They're waiting for the king to say, get these kids out of here. King holds his hand up, causes everyone to stop. And the clean boy he stops at the king's feet, pulls his buddy up beside him, says, Dad, this is my friend. He's scared, he's hurt, and I told him that you could help. And the king just opens his arms and gives a hug to both kids. The royal robe, all muddy, all bloody. And he looks into the the scared eyes of this little boy and says, any friend of my son's is welcome here. How can I help you? You know, when we think about our lives, when we think about the fires, when we think about the the messiness of who we are, of our past, how unworthy we are, we may feel like that bloodied, muddy little boy. But when we are in Christ, we are righteous. God doesn't see us that way. And that is an out-and-out miracle. God doesn't see the messiness of the fires that are left behind. He sees where the fires are taking you. He sees how they have become your story. They're meant to be faced. They're meant to move you forward. You will never leave your comfort zone if you can't see past the fires of life. But we're pretty thick-headed, just like Moses was. And so Moses throws up a couple of defenses. He, he throws up a couple of excuses as to why he can't get outside of his comfort zone. And as we think about those very quickly today, I want us to realize that our excuses are often the things that, that God can twist and, and, and propel and move forward to help us to get on the other side of our discomfort. The first is this. The fires of life grow your faith through knowledge. The fires of life grow your faith through knowledge. In, in uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, it says this, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. See, Moses' faith, like yours and like mine, is built upon what we believe to be true about God. It's built on what we believe. And so Moses' doubt about rescuing the Egyptians is rooted in his doubts about what he believes about God. He says, God, what am I supposed to tell these people, right? They're not going to believe that this is true. I'm not sure if I believe that this is true, that you could overcome the Egyptian rulers. And so God squelches his doubt with knowledge. He doesn't ask him to, to trust him blindly. He says, let me tell you who I really am. I want you to understand who I really am. And so I ask you this question What limits have you placed on God because of your doubts about who God is? What limits have you placed on God because of your doubts about who God is? Because you see, when you stop learning who God is, you stop loving the people around you. I'll say it again when you stop learning who God is, you stop loving the people around you. For too many of us, for too many of us, it is so easy to have faith in America that we take maybe what we learned in Sunday school a long time ago and we say, that's enough. I'm not going to go to hell, and that's enough. But when we stop learning about who God is, his vastness, his power, his beauty, his majesty, we stop loving the people around you. It's very subtle that Satan is winning. You subconsciously set yourself up as God because what you're saying inside is that I know enough. I know enough to be saved, and that's enough. But God is so much more. Psalm 8 reminds us of his beauty. I'm just going to read this. I want you to think about this. This is, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If God is this majestic, then there are certainly things that you and I don't know about him. So when was the last time you learned something new about God? Because when you learn something new, your faith in him grows. His majesty can't be surpassed. I want to challenge you in that vein to get in a group this week, a community group. It's not a silver bullet. It never is. But I would say that the chances of you learning something new about our majestic God is greater if you go and engage with other believers than if you don't engage. Fires grow your faith through knowledge. But fires also push you past insecurities. This is a big one. This is a big one for us. Verse verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Moses answered, right? So God, God gives him his answer for his first excuse, and then Moses comes up with another one. He says, Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. See, Moses was worried about proving that he had seen God instead of just helping other people to see God for themselves. How many of us are so worried about proving that we're a good Christian instead of just trying to help other people experience the same God who's changed our life. We're worried about checking the boxes as opposed to just introducing people to the God who checks all the boxes. For Moses to stand in front of the nation of Israel after running from Egypt, after being gone all this time, and to say to them, well, God spoke in a burning bush and and he said he's freeing us. And then follow that up with some cool miracles where he throws his staff down and it becomes a snake, right? There was no doubt that the people were going to look at Moses and, and, and like, like, he was thinking in his mind, these people are going to think I'm crazy. It was his own insecurities that were holding him back. I often tell people, if you aren't misunderstood, you likely aren't on mission. If there are not things in your life that your friends and your family are saying, are you sure you want to do that? Why would you want to... Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to host a group in your home? Why would you want to go on a mission trip? Why would you want to sell something? Why would you want to not have any debt? Like, why would you want to do those things? If you don't have any of those questions, you likely aren't on mission. The only way to move forward through your insecurities is to give up the very things of this world that make you feel secure. Right? We pile up all these things around us to make us feel secure. To provide and they are the very things that make us insecure 1 Timothy 6.17 says as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy so I humbly ask what's one of your earthly riches that you could give up to God this week just one Fires push you past your insecurities because they force you to sacrifice. Fires also remind us that God acts in light of our weakness. Moses gives these two excuses, right? And then we we may know the last excuse. He's like, But God, I'm not a public speaker. There's no way that I can lead hundreds of thousands of Israelites out of Egypt because I can't even get up there and say anything. I'm scared to death. In Christ's community terms, I can't tell my story in front of all those people. There's no way. My mama always said, can't never could. And that phrase is true in a sense, but it's not true with God. Sure, there are many things that you and I can't do, but God sees the word can't as a catalyst, not as a caution. When you can't begin to imagine how God's going to work, He shows you more than you've ever seen before. When you can't go any further, God prepares the road in front of you, and you're forced to keep going. When you can't do it anymore, God sustains you. When you say you can't do something, God reminds you that He created you, and you have no business telling Him what you can and can't do. Now, here's the thing. It's not about us as humans turning a can't into a can. It's about realizing that can't is the beginning of what God can do through you. It's not about you mustering up the strength or the power or the boldness. It's about you coming to the end of yourself so that God can actually do something through you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. It is Him working through us. But if we never get to the end of ourselves, we will never see Him work. God acts in light of your weakness, and that inspires you and I to act. To act. You see, when we've gone through all the excuses, when we're facing a fire, right, you've been thinking about what is that fire that I'm facing, when you're facing that and you're trying to come up with every reason not to engage in that, when you're trying to come up with every excuse not to to give in and think about what it would look like if I actually gave my life to Christ, if I actually laid things down and began to follow Him, if I actually put my faith in action, when we begin to think about that and we come up with all the excuses, we're going to find that God is there with an answer time and time and time and time again and at some point we're forced to take action and that's where Moses finds himself there's so much that's left to the imagination in Exodus chapter 4 verses 18 through 20 we're going to have it on the screen read this with me I just, I just love this image right? it says Moses went back to Jethro his father-in-law yes yes All the excuses, right? And he's thinking, I got this. I am married to this girl, and surely her daddy don't want her going back to Egypt and helping me free the Israelites. He doesn't want his girl to be in trouble. So I got it. It's the ultimate excuse, right? I'm going to keep daddy's girl safe. So Moses goes back to Jethro, and he says to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Fingers crossed behind my back, right? <laughs> Please let me go back to my brothers' and to see whether they're still alive. And he's thinking Jethro's better. Right? He's going to shut this down. I knew you were wrong, God. This isn't, this isn't my comfort zone to get outside of. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Oh, man. you got to be kidding me, God. I thought you were shutting down with Jethro. Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go on, right? Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. He says, I'll give you a little bit of comfort on the journey, right? All the guys that wanted to kill you, they're not alive anymore. It's okay. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he had them ride on a donkey, and he went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. I love it. Because Moses was a man just like you and me. He is uncomfortable, And for some of you today, probably all of us, there is something that makes us uncomfortable about truly following Jesus, about going all in. And when we hear the story of guys like Dion, we're like, I don't even know if my faith could make it over there. That's how I feel. And Moses felt the same way too, but he was forced to act. Why? Because he feared the Lord. At the end of the day, he was more afraid of not having this relationship with God than he was of all the things the world was going to throw at him, than all the fires that he could ever face. You see, we will only face our fears when we truly fear the Lord. You know, in our flesh, we will always be afraid of things. That will never go away. We only muster the strength to face our deepest fears, however, if we truly fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is to be afraid of what might happen if God leaves. What would happen in my life if, if God were absent? Are you afraid of that? And when we realize that there is nothing worse than God leaving us, we find ourselves in a place where we can abandon everything, we can walk through any fire, and we can set our eyes on true freedom in Christ because we want nothing more than to just stay close to God because life without Him is too scary to even think about. Dion's story was so compelling and what's crazy is the rest of the guys around the table all point to him as their leader and their stories are interconnected. There was one guy I'm going to ruin all the stories right but there was one guy his dad had stoned two of the other guys before coming to Christ right and like they're all sitting at the same table laughing about it. Like hey you remember my dad stoned your house? Yeah that was crazy 1995. I'm like y'all are messed up. But Dion's telling this story, and it's crazy, right? Like, I just told one part of it. And it was so compelling, right? We're working through interpreters, and the interpreter gets lost in the story. So here we are. We're sitting, like, cross-legged at a six-inch table, six-four white guy in Indonesia. Nobody speaks our language. They're all speaking Bahazi, And our interpreter gets lost in the story. And so for 30 minutes, they go on telling this story, and, and he's, he's telling him all these encounters that he's had, and our interpreter's just engaging with him. And Gary and Connie and myself and Eric were like, awesome, awesome. And yet emotion was conveyed. And every once in a while, you see a tear come in Dion's eye. And my mind is like, what's he saying? What's he saying? What's he saying? But I don't want to interrupt. So we get back in the car on the way home. And I'm like, Yoel. That was our interpreter. YOL. What was he saying? He's like, Oh, I quit interpreting? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, brother. It was like 30 minutes. It was awesome. I didn't I, I couldn't speak in tongues. I'm not sure what happened. And he says, I got so engaged because he got choked up several times because he just kept telling stories about how he wanted to quit. He said he'd tell a story of how he wanted to quit and there would be something that God would do and it was just miraculous and he would say, I can't can't stop preaching the gospel. There's too many people that haven't heard. He said he told the first one, I was so engaged, I said, you know, keep going. He told another one and another one and another one. Four, five, six times he, he told of wanting to just stop being a Christian. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to quit, God. It is not worth it. And God would show himself. And he would be reminded that he feared nothing more than being without God. When we face the fires of life, they get our attention. But God sees Freedom. He sees freedom and he wants to push you right through those fires to the very things that he has called you to. So, I've got two questions as the band comes back. I'm sure I've gone over time. I want us to think about these questions. I want us to take these questions to the Lord, each person, as we respond to the gospel today. One is this Do you truly fear the Lord? Are you really afraid of a life without God? If you hesitate, I just want you to be aware that you may not know him at all. Because if you know just a little bit about the God that I serve, man, you would be afraid to be without him because he is so good and so loving. Did you fear the Lord? My second question is this. What fire are you hiding your face from? What is it that you're putting off, that you're hiding from, that you don't want to engage with? What is it that you're trying to bury deep? Don't hide from it today. Push through it. Get outside of your comfort zone. If you need help processing through that, and when I say need help, it's not like you need help. It's just like we're supposed to be a community of believers and like we do this together. Then we're going to be in the back. We just want to pray and talk with you. But if you're unsettled in those questions, goodness, don't leave. Don't walk out of here and walk away from another fire. You're going to get burnt. Let's pray.